Let's look at Matthew chapter number 1, please. And our text this morning will be from verse number 18 through verse number 21. And you please follow along as I read verse 18 of Matthew chapter number 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Read with me, please, verse number 21 as we close our text. Ready? And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name for he shall save his people from their sins. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in chapel here at West Coast Baptist College on this day. Lord, this week, Lord, these uh, days that are leading up to Christmas season. And Father, thank you for the advent of your coming and for that which we will celebrate. Lord, I pray that you would help us now today that we will focus on really four very important points from this very familiar story. And Lord, I would ask you that you would help the familiarity of the story and not rob us from the great truths that you've laid on my heart to give now to this student body on this day in chapel. I pray, O oh God, that you would have your will and your way, that you would be glorified. Please use your book now in our lives in a way that only you can. And we'll ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And you may be seated this morning, please. I'm going to speak to you on the subject, the royal couple of the Christmas story. It seems that there is a fascination even here in America with royal families, especially British royal families. And of course, we know that the American Revolution was uh, based on gaining independence from British rule and that our presidency was far removed from the rule of monarchy. You know, there were many things took place uh, over 200 years ago in our nation as we were gaining our independence. And one of those things was as we set up our government, we were not going to have a monarch to rule, a, a dictator in, in some ways to rule, but that our constitution would lay out that there would be a, a transition of power every four to eight years. And, and you understand that. However, as we're speaking just a little bit, just in the lane of the foundation this morning of uh, how the British monarchy would pass down from, uh, from um, one generation to the next, just as a side note, uh, in our American presidency, there have been two sets of father-sons that both served as American presidents. Of course, we know that John Adams and John Quincy Adams uh, both served. That was a father and son. And then a little more recently in our generation, we had George H. Bush and then his son, uh, a couple of terms later, George W. Bush. Uh, just as a side note, there's one set of grandfather-grandsons that were our American presidents. The ninth president of our nation was William Harry, uh, Henry Harrison. And then the 23rd president was his grandson named Benjamin Harrison. Now, uh, you will need to know all of that for the final that I'll give in just a few days, all right? I understand you, you may not think that has anything to do with the sermon, but just to give just a little bit of, of color and a little bit of background to what I'm saying. So as we come back to the royal family, uh, we know now that the longest uh, reigning monarch in the British royalty is a 91-year-old lady named Queen Elizabeth. 
She, uh, in February of 2017, celebrated 65 years on the British throne. And uh, she, uh, she celebrated what they called her Sapphire Jubilee. And again, uh, still, still living and still reigning and, and one of the probably the most uh, famous of, uh, of um, uh, world leaders, maybe still, uh, that are on the stage today. But I say all of that to lead up to say that Queen Elizabeth had a son. And Queen Elizabeth's son was named Prince Charles. And Prince Charles, a few decades ago, married a lady named Princess Diana. Princess Diana and Charles's marriage was arguably one of the most famous of the royal weddings. I have a picture for you this morning that I'd like to show there. And I think that uh, that's uh, one too soon. I think, there we go, there we go. Prince uh, Charles and Lady Diana. Now, for you, for you girls that are engaged, can I give you just a little bit of information about her engagement ring? Are you ready? Fellows, I'm sorry, you're never going to be able to rise to this uh, level of, uh, of showing your love to your betrothed. She had 14 solitaire diamonds surrounding a 12-carat oval blue sapphire set in 18-carat white gold. Now, how many of you girls would love to have an engagement ring that looks something like that? No? All right. How many of you would like to have a quarter carat at least? Can I see your hand? All right. They say that Princess Di's dress costs 9,000 British pounds. That would be about $12,000. And she had a 25-foot train. Wow. There was another royal wedding that's a little more in your generation that you'll know. Let's go to the next picture there. And, of course, uh, that is uh, Princess Di and Charles's son. And his name, of course, is Prince William. And he married a lady named Catherine Middleton. How many of you know William and Kate? That's kind of how we know them. And a little more in our generation. They were married in 2011. However, today I want to come to what I'm calling this morning in this sermon, the royal couple... Of the Christmas story. The royal couple of the Christmas story. We find in verses 18 and 19. Look at our text again if you don't mind please. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. The Bible says that there was a lady named Mary. When as his mother. Speaking of the baby Jesus. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. And then notice in verse 19. Then Joseph her husband. If you look right this way please. I would like to propose to you that this is the royal couple of the Christmas story. These are the ones that are the standouts, really, of the story from a human logic standpoint. We know that there were many other supporting cast. Uh, we understand that there were shepherds that saw out in the hillside of the angelic messengers that were there. And we understand that there was the innkeeper in Bethlehem that said there's no room in the inn. And we could talk about Caesar Augustus and others But really, if we're speaking from a human standpoint only, we must look at Mary and Joseph. I'd like you to first note, please, that Mary is called Jesus' mother. Do you see that in verse number 18? When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. And so we see that there is a lady that God uses in a very supernatural and miraculous way. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But from a physical standpoint, this lady, this young virgin girl named Mary became the mother of the very son of God. However, as we talk about this royalty and the royal uh, couple that we're speaking of today, did you know that Mary and Joseph both can trace their lineage back to the throne 
of David. And we know that biblically and prophetically that Jesus the Messiah had to have his roots traced, humanly speaking, back to the lineage of King David. Mary can trace her roots back through the throne, uh, uh, the throne of David through his son Nathan. And we find that in Luke chapter number 3. And we won't turn there for sake of time. However, we do know that there's another young man and his name is Joseph. Look with me please at verse number 19 if you will. Then Joseph... Her husband. Now let's just stop right there. We understand that maybe this wording or this verbiage is just a little bit different in how we understand the name, the word husband. We do know in other passages that these two young people were already espoused together. They were already betrothed together. We might use the word an engagement. However, an engagement was a very strong, strong relationship in Bible days. And it is as if they were married. And so here we find that the scriptures calls uh, Joseph her husband. I want you to notice that it never calls Joseph Jesus' father. That's very, very important. Mary was the mother of Jesus, but Joseph was the husband of Mary. Skip back to verse number 16. I'm just trying to lay the foundation here this morning. The Bible says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, we're not going to get into this morning the whole doctrinal implications of the virgin birth, but it's very important for us to understand, watch please, that Joseph had no human intervention whatsoever in the physical birth of Jesus Christ. Because had there been a physical intervention, Jesus Christ could not have been the perfect Son of God. Does everybody understand that by a hearty amen? The importance of what we call the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. However, we do know that Joseph, according to Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 4, that he was on his way back to Bethlehem because of the taxation decree that had been given by Caesar Augustus. And the reason that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem is, according to Luke 2 and verse number 4, is that he was of the house and lineage of David. So we're tracing this young couple back to, to the royal family of King David. We know that Mary can be traced back through Nathan, the son of David. And the Bible tells us that, that, uh, uh, that Joseph can be traced back to King David's throne by the son that was named Solomon. So with that background in place this morning, I'd like to speak to you about this royal couple, this unusual young adult couple betrothed together, engaged to be married, going about their life, going about the enjoyment of, of living a life together in just a, a few days from now will become husband and wife and how that God intervened in an amazing way to use this young couple in a very, very special, special way. Yes, we understand the miraculous virgin birth. We understand the fulfillment of prophecy that brought these two together at this time in history. We understand the incarnation of divinity. We understand that God was called, Jesus was called Emmanuel, meaning God with 
us. This was not just any birth of any little baby, my friends. This was the very birth of the Son of the living God. He would become a flesh so that He could dwell on earth among us so that He could then one day die on a cross and shed His perfect, precious, sinless blood for my salvation and for yours. But we come to the young couple that God chose to be able to give that special responsibility to bear the Christ child in Mary's case and to, as an earthly father, rear that Christ child through his growing up years, two young adults named Joseph and Mary, very much like the young adults that I am speaking to this morning. Please stay with me in the foundation of the message that I've laid. I don't know that you know all that God has planned for your life yet. You're in a place of preparation and service, obviously. You have come from various places around this country or this world to train for the call of God that He's placed in your life. And it may have been that just a year or two or maybe even just a few months ago, you were just going about your life. Maybe like Mary and Joseph were just going about their lives as a young a young adult couple looking forward to the, the, the time of marriage and looking forward to what they thought was a long time down the road of children maybe coming into their life. And, and Joseph, of course, was a carpenter and, and uh, maybe thinking about his career. And that could have been where we found those of you that are here today seated in this room. A Joseph and a Mary not understanding that God was going to choose them to do something supernatural. And I wonder, I wonder this morning if there is a Joseph and a Mary, a royal couple that is seated in this room this morning, ready to go into the call of God, ready to go into the will of God, that He has placed you at this time in your life, in a, in a day of preparation, so that you could be the couple that God would intend for you to be. I want you to see, first of all, that Mary was a virgin in childbearing years. I want you to see that there was a relationship already that Joseph and Mary had with one another, but I want you to make it very clear this morning that God lets us know that there was a relationship that had not crossed any physical boundaries yet. She was a virgin. The Bible says before they came together. God makes it very, extremely clear here. And we're going to speak very plainly this morning because I'd sure like to help you to be able to walk into the ministry that God's called you to, to have purity of heart and purity of mind and purity of body and purity of soul so that God can use you as he was able to use this little girl named Mary. The Bible calls her a virgin. Yes, in childbearing years. We know that. She's about to have a baby. We don't know the exact age of Joseph and Mary. But from all accounts, they were probably about your age. Older teenagers or young adults and, and 18, 19, 20, 21. We don't know exactly. But I promise you, it's very close to the age where you are living your life right now. We understand that this couple was engaged to be married. That's what happens at this time of, of life, right? 
Uh, you, you leave high school years and, and uh, you come now to college years. You, you, be, you turn 18, which is in our culture a, a little bit of the, the, uh, the, uh, the mark of what we call adulthood. And, and that's where you are this morning. And maybe it is that you have begun to date or you've begun to, uh, to build some relationships with a member, with a member uh, of the opposite sex. It's that time of life that you're living and that time of life in which they were living. Can I say thirdly that there were some great adult responsibilities that Joseph and Mary were now about to embark upon. And may I say to you, this is the time of life where you are as well, young people. You're no longer children you're no longer just a, a teenage kid, you know, that uh, mom and dad does everything for you. No, you've now come to the time of life where you've had to step up. You have, in many cases, left home and family and your home church and, 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 and that which was uh, very familiar and very common and, may I say, very secure. And now you've come to a place where you're maybe having to pay your own way or at least a portion of your own way. You've had to mount now get a job and you've now had to have some responsibilities. I'm just saying to you, this is the same time of life that Mary and Joseph were living that God had asked them now to do something very special and unique. And God is asking you to do that same thing. He has planned for you in the youth of your life. And I, again, I'm just assuming that probably 95% of this crowd maybe is between 18 and 22. That, that, that's, that's the years that typically we go off to college. And can I just say to you, I wonder what God has planned for your life today. I wonder how God is going to come as, as he came with the angelic messengers to speak to both Joseph and Mary and say, Hey, fear not, Mary, for behold, you're going to have a baby. And she didn't understand that. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I, I, I'm not understanding of, of this responsibility. And, and I, I just don't think that this can truly be. And Joseph, he's a young man now that is, that is uh, uh, having to go back and pay taxes for the first time, right? I mean, talk about adult responsibility. Hey, I'm talking about one day you're going to have a mortgage and you're going to have insurance and you're going to have children and you're going to have a ministry. And, and there's great responsibility that God is placing upon your shoulders. May I just remind you, please, that you can handle what God's laid upon you? In fact, I love the verse in Lamentations. I think it's about chapter number 3 where it says, It is good for a man that he bear his yoke in his youth. God's placing some, some heavy uh, things upon your shoulders right now, young people. Just as I'm sure Joseph and Mary felt very overwhelmed. Can you imagine... We had it all planned out, and this is the way it's going to be, and now God has messed up our life. You ever felt like God messed up your life when he maybe placed a call upon your life? Boy, you had it all. You were going to do this or that, or you were going to be in business with your dad, or you were going to go after this career, and then God stepped in and placed a call in your life. And maybe now that you're here, and maybe because it's finals week, you know, the pressure is now upon you. You're like, what have I gotten myself into May I just say that Joseph and Mary, this royal couple, I'm certain, have felt what you're feeling right now and uh, these adult responsibilities that are upon you. And so I say all of that this morning to bring you to really four main points that I would like to give to you from this passage of Scripture. We'll use a little bit from Matthew 1 and a little bit from Luke chapter 1. And, and again, uh, the Lord laid this, this thought on my heart many, many months ago, knowing that I would be preaching the first week of December here and, and understanding that the Christmas story is one from which we can gather so many great, great thoughts and points, not just about the Christmas story, but about life in general. And that being said, can I give you my first point? What I'm calling the four royal traits 
of this very special young couple, this couple named Joseph and Mary. The first point I'd like to give you is that Joseph and Mary both had, number one, strong morals. Strong morals. Would you please look at verse number 18 of our text? And would you allow me to speak fairly plainly this morning? If you would allow me to do so, would you give me a hearty amen, please? May I speak from the scriptures today to your generation, to this crowd today. Those of you who are, in many cases, called of God to go into the ministry, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. May I ask you, please, to allow God to be able to use you because you have placed into your life some strong morals. Notice, please, in Matthew 1 and verse number 18... The Bible says, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, yes, they were engaged. They were in a relationship. May I even say, please, they were in a committed relationship. But then the Bible says, before they came together. The Bible makes it very, very clear that that, uh, Mary was a virgin. We find that in verse number 23. Look what it says. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Of course, this was a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 where the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Skip over to Luke chapter 1, please, just quickly. I want to lay the Bible foundation. Let's use the biblical verbiage here. How important was it that there was a virgin birth? Oh, yes. Obviously, we understand the doctrinal ramifications of Mary being a virgin. But I want to just talk to you about the practical ramifications of Mary being a virgin. Notice in Luke chapter number 1, please, in verse number 27. And, of course, the story is picking up in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a... Would you just kind of... So I know that you're with me this morning. To a what, please? To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Skip down to verse 29, if you will. Of course, the angel now has told Mary that she is, she is highly favored in all of this. But notice in verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying... And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Please look this direction now again. And we'll then quickly end in verse 34 in just a moment. I'm just trying to show you that the biblical account, the wording, the verbiage that is used in our our, our King James Bible is that very clearly this was a clean, a morally clean young couple. Joseph and Mary had not yet come together. Mary was called a virgin. In fact, when she was told she was pregnant and with child, she cast in her mind, what salutation is this? I I don't, how can these things be? I I know physically that, that Joseph and I have not had any physical what should have been what, what should be saved for, for merit for the marital relationship. I know that we've been clean. How can this be? In fact, she says it very plainly in verse number 34. Look please. And this is preserved in, in inspired scripture for us to understand. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing, I know not a man. What was Mary saying? 
Mary was saying, I I cannot be physically with child because I have not been physically yet with Joseph. There is a strong morality that I think is, is inscribed throughout this Christmas story. Young people, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to understand, yes, doctrinally, the virgin birth is so very important. But can I also say that practically, you staying clean before marriage is also so very important. Obviously, moral purity is a big deal to God. Moral purity, would you say that phrase with me, please? Moral purity is a big deal to God. May I just give you some other verses, please, from the New Testament? Don't turn there. But Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Those are God's words, not the preacher's words this morning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verses 1 and 2, It is good for a man not to touch a woman, but nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife and every wife have her own husband. Hey, can I say to you, please, kids, look at me. And I know that it's 2017. I, I, I get it. I understand that I'm, I'm a little old-fashioned right now. And, and I understand that what our generation says. And, and look, but I know that I'm also preaching to a bunch of Christian kids here this morning who have been called of God to do something big. And may I just say to you, every word of God is important. And every word of God is there for our generation. And culture should not change our convictions. The conviction of the word of God is what should dictate our behavior. And he says, look, it's good that a man and woman don't even touch before marriage. Because I understand that there's the natural need and the natural desire. He said, so to avoid fornication, then that's how how and why you get married. A husband needs to have a wife and a wife needs to have a husband. Why? To avoid fornication. Remember in Hebrews 13, the marriage bed is undefiled. It's, It's okay in the sight of God underneath the covenant of marriage. But not before. But not before. In Galatians 5, in verse number 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And do you know that the first two that are listed in this listing of about 12 or 14 things that God says this is the, work, this is the flesh at work, uh, this is the carnal nature at work, the first two, adultery and fornication. Adultery, we might say that that is, that is uh, 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 inappropriate relationships between a man and a woman that are married. Fornication might be defined as inappropriate f- uh, sexual relationships between unmarried people. God says, I'm just going to cover both, both spots here. He said, that's a work of the flesh. That is a desire. Yes, I understand it's a desire. It's a natural desire. But it's also a desire that God said is to only be fulfilled within the bounds of marriage. I understand you're quiet this morning. That's okay. But can I just say amen to my preaching right now? Because God's word is true. And if you want one of the best marriages that you could ever hope to have, can I just say to you, please, please make sure that you are having strong morals in your relationship, that your morality is where it should be biblically and according to the words of God. Stay clean and pure before God. In fact, can I say it this way? Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 22, keep thyself pure. Our culture is in crisis about this very thing about which I'm speaking. 
If you have not lived under a rock in the last few days and weeks and months and you've heard any bits of news whatsoever, you've heard names like Harvey Weinstein and Senator Al Franken and Representative John Conyers and today's show host Matt Lauer amongst many others. How many have heard at least one of those names and know what I'm talking about? Do you understand that even in our, our secular culture right now, That this inappropriateness between man and woman, this inappropriate sexual behavior is being called out. And may I say, and it should be. But may I also step into our realm, please. Brother Getch, I don't know about you, but it hurts and breaks my heart to see in our independent fundamental circles... I'm talking about good men. I'm talking about men that went to to the Bible college that I graduated from and and the the Bible college that you've graduated from and and this Bible college and others. I'm talking about good men. I'm talking about pastors of churches and evangelists and missionaries who now are no longer married in the ministry because they did not have strong morals. You do understand. You do understand that a tripping up in this area of your life and ministry may absolutely, totally derail the will of God that He had planned for you in your life. What you were supposed to accomplish with your life. The marriage that, you were, that He intended for you to have. The, the, the relationship that you were supposed to be as an example to your children that followed you of daddy loving mama and that nothing was going to come in the way and no one was going to come between The covenant of marriage and relationship, that vow that we made till death do us part. Our culture's in crisis. The former pastor of the largest independent fundamental Baptist church in America today sits in prison because he did not have strong morals. And I know the man personally. Even the church that I pastor today, and I will not get into any detail about that, but the reason that I am even the pastor of that church is because about five and a half years ago, there was a moral indiscretion that caused the church that I now pastor to have a terrible, terrible split. The pastor to have to resign and leave. Why? Because somewhere along the line, there were not strong morals. And strong morals, kids, listen, will cause you to make some firm decisions about relationships. May I please sound the clarion call for moral purity in our Christian homes, in our churches, and yea, even in our Bible colleges. May I please sound the clarion call to the men's dormitories of West Coast Baptist College to keep them clean and pure and holy and righteous. Oh, I know everybody's got a cell phone and everybody's got a smartphone and everybody's got an account and everybody's got access to the internet. And I understand that our culture has made it so very easy, but I'm asking the the, the men of West Coast Baptist College who are going to be the pastors in our next generation to stay morally clean and pure. And it's going to start with what you look at on your phone and the secret accounts that you have The social media things that are so accessible. Can I just make this one statement? I'm going to move on to point number two. Seeds sown in your dating will later be reaped in your marriage and ministry. Seeds sown in your dating right now will later be reaped in your marriage and your ministry. 
can I please move on to the second point? I said that this royal couple, number one, had some very strong morals. But number two, I'd like you to know that Mary and Joseph had very sincere motives. Let's go back, please, to Matthew chapter number one, if you don't mind, please, with me. So we have strong morals. All right, can, can, can everybody look this way? Can everybody take a deep breath right now already? See, sometimes when the preacher gets a little bit straight, you know, a little bit plain. And, and I, know, I, I know the crowd to whom I'm speaking. I understand this is the era of life. You're trying to make some decisions about your morality, who you're going to be, and how you're going to act, and how you're going to respond. But can I just say that I believe that maybe this second point will help us to get there. They had some very sincere motives. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19 of Matthew 1 about Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph, then Joseph, her husband, being a, what kind of a man, please? A a just man. Uh, We were just over in Luke. You don't need to turn back there, but I'll read from verse 28 about Mary. The Bible says that the angel uh, uh, came to Mary and said, Hail, thou, thou, thou that art highly favored The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. He goes on to say in verse number 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Oh, these were fine, fine, upstanding, morally clean young people. The Bible says that Joseph was a just man. Mary was a young lady that in the sight of God was highly favored. May I ask you, what does God see about you in your life right now? Look, Joseph and Mary weren't in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Joseph and Mary were either 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. The age that you are right now, what does God see about you right now? And, And what does he see about the inside, not just the outside? The motive. The motive. The sincerity of the motive on the inside of their heart. Gabriel's message to Mary was that, and and we read this a moment ago, when when she heard that she was expecting a baby... And she knew that there had not been a a, a relationship with Joseph. And she knew that, humanly speaking, this could not be. The Bible says she was troubled about it. She, She cast in her mind, how can this thing be? I'll tell you why. Because her motives were pure. That's why. Her conscience was clean. She knew that she had not lived in any kind of a lifestyle where this would humanly have now been taking place. She was troubled at his saying. The angelic message to Joseph, likewise. The Bible says, uh, uh, you'll see it there in in Matthew chapter number 1. Notice his justness here. Notice the righteousness of his heart. Said he was not willing to make her a public example. He was minded to put her away privily. You know why? Because this young man had sincere motives in his heart. He had a clean heart. He had a clean conscience. He, look, look, let me say it this way in our vernacular. You know, Joseph had to, had to kind of question and had to determine in his life, am I going to throw Mary under the bus or not? But because he had sincere motives, he said, you know what? And when we get into the whole Old Testament law that, and, and, and why he could have done this, I'm just going to put her away privily. She's, she's now pregnant and out of wedlock, and we know, I know that we've not been together, and so obviously Mary's been with someone else. Wait a minute, that's all human logic that's taking place here in this conversation. Is everybody with me on that? And he says, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just going to put her away privily. 
I, I, I don't want to make her a public example. Oh, what a great young man. And oh, what a great young man God wants you to be, to be making some wise choices. Even, watch this. Even when you are faced with difficult choices to make, you think on these things. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because that's the third point. But he had a sincere motive inside. He was concerned, watch this, about his and Mary also, their reputation. Not that they were covering something up, but that they were concerned about a clean conscience. Can I just say, please, you should be concerned about your reputation. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse number 1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Hey, I've been working on a good name for a long time now in my life. I... I want to make sure that my name and my reputation is not tarnished because of something dumb that I do. Some stupid choice that I make. I I, I would not want that lady back there that's been my wife for 27 and a half years for me to do something dumb in the ministry that puts a mark upon her life and a mark upon her reputation. And can I just say it this way? She, She took my name 27 and a half years ago. I want to make sure I keep giving her a good name because I want to have a sincere motive in my heart. I'm not talking about perfection, folks, but I am certainly talking about working every single day to make sure the motives of your heart are right before God. Hey, wasn't it King David was a man after God's own heart? How's the inside this morning? What's the reputation like this morning that you're building and that you're working on? Not to, they weren't trying to cover something up. Absolutely. They had nothing to cover up, but they were very concerned about a clear conscience. And can I just say that going back to point number one, if you don't have strong morals, you will not be able to have a clear conscience. Does everybody hear me? The seeds that you sow right now and the way that you live right now in the relationship between guys and girls and relationship in the dating and the engagement and leading up to the marriage, I'm just saying to you, you're going to want to have a clean conscience before God. And that's going to happen because you have some sincere motives on the inside. Can I just say, please, be the real deal? Would you not be one thing on the outside because you're a Bible college student? And you try to cover up the, the, the junk that's going on on the inside of your heart? May I just say to you, please, that we need in the ministry... The uh, uh, men and women to be the real deal inside and out... ...in the pulpit and the pew, in the marriage and ministry... And can I just say this, because it kind of comes back to my mind where I'm at right now, and just in, to be the real deal in my kids and my future grandkids. See, I'm to the age now that I'm, I'm done rearing my children and asking God now to let the will of God be known in their life and their mate. I have one married daughter and, and of course, uh, Caitlin. But one day I'm, I'm thinking about a reputation. I'm, I'm thinking about a, a reputation to be given to my grandkids one day. Strong morals, number one. Sincere motives, number two. Number three, Mary and Joseph were serious-minded. They were serious-minded. And again, all of these build one upon another. If you're serious-minded, then you're going to realize the importance of having sincere motives. And the sincere motives are going to make you have strong morals. Do you see that? They build one one upon the other. Uh, Can I take you back to the passage? Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 19. The Bible tells us about Joseph. 
that he was minded. Do you see that word in verse 19? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was, would all the young men say that word with me? Ready? Was minded to put her away privily. And young men keep following in verse 20. But while he, next word, but while he thought on these things. Hey, do you know why we make so many dumb choices? Because we just do them quickly without thinking. We do them quickly without consideration. Uh, we do what comes naturally to us. Hey, hey, Christian, that which comes naturally comes from the flesh, not the spirit. That's why the Bible says, walk in the spirit so that you cannot fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And those lusts of the flesh we mentioned a moment ago, the first two were adultery and fornication. So if I'm going to stay clean morally, then it's because I'm going to have some sincere motives and I'm going to be very serious-minded about making decisions in my life. Can I just stop and say, be serious-minded about who, who you're dating. Be serious-minded about who, who it is that you are beginning a relationship with. Is it the will of God, not are they the cutest guy on campus? Is it the will of God for your life? What kind of character do they have? What kind of morals do they have? Hey, girls, what kind of a man that you are looking at to be, your, to be your husband, what kind of a dad will he be to your kids? I'm just trying to get us to understand that Joseph and Mary were, were serious-minded while he thought on these things. Can I just say this decision would alter the course of his entire life? And can I remind you that at the end of Matthew 1, the story in verse number 24, it says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And do you know that Joseph was a spirit-filled man? He was a man that was listening to God. Uh, we will take time. You remember a little later in the story, right? Look this way. Remember he goes down into Egypt? Remember all of that persecution? He takes the baby Jesus down into Egypt. And then the Bible says that in a dream, God came to him again and said, I want you to get out of Egypt. I want you to come back into the, the land or the coasts of Israel. And eventually he ended up in Nazareth, which was where God wanted his child to be raised. He would be called a Nazarene. Hey, hey, hey. I wonder what human logic, if it would have gotten in, in, in the way of the very will of God because Joseph wasn't listening and Joseph wasn't considering and Joseph wasn't, wasn't uh, 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 seriously minded to make these important, important decisions. I, I just have a few decisions that you're trying to make right now in your life. May I give you a few of them? Many of you are taking notes right now. Let me just give you seven or eight that start with the letter C. Number one, you've already made a decision about your college, right? You're here. You're here at West Coast. But can I, can I elaborate on that? May I ask you to be serious-minded about continuing to completion your college? I get three C's for that one, Doc, right there, all right, if we're, if we're playing Scrabble. Okay, so, so you've made your decision. You feel like this is... Okay, let me just see. How many of you, you believe you are here in these pews today because it was the will of God for you to come to West Coast Baptist College? Can I just say, you, you came because it was the will of God. All right, so unless God changes that will very clearly, not just because finals are tough. Can I say, not just because you're having trouble paying your bills. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, my friend. My dad used to say, in all the taters in them hills, he owns everything. He probably can take care of your school bill. Does he want you to continue to completion the choice of the college that you have made? That's a serious decision you better make. 
Can I ask you secondly, to to be serious-minded about whether it's a calling or a career that you're going after. Is it a calling or is it a career? Hey, a career choice, it may change a time or two throughout your life. A call, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. What's God called you to do, young men? Did Did he say, I want you to go pastor a church until... Certain, certain things happens or you get a little uh, problem with the deacon board or, you know, uh, whatever happens and you kind of, the gr- grass is greener on the other side. No, it's a calling of God in my life. And I want to be serious-minded about my calling. I want to be serious about my Christianity. Christianity is 24-7, friends. It, it's, it's not something I do on Sunday. It's who I am. Christ, who is my life. In Him we move and have our being. That's how Paul said it. He said, everything is about Jesus Christ. I forget those things which are behind. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He is the reason that I do what I do. Let's be serious-minded about our Christianity. Hey, hey, can I warn you? Let's be serious-minded about any changes I might make. Hey, we don't need to change, my friend, from the Word of God. The very clear-cut commands of Scripture. Hey, be careful of this emergent church changing everything. Be careful about the music change. Be careful about the dress change. Be careful about the standards change. Be careful about the things that are very clearly laid out in Scripture. You be serious-minded before you make big changes in your life, friends. Proverbs says, meddle not with them given to change. Let's be careful. Paul said to Timothy, you take the same thing that I've given to you and you give that same thing to someone else who is going to, a faithful man, mind you, that is going to then be able to teach others also. Passing it down from generation to generation. Just because it's 2017 doesn't mean you, you young millennials have, a, have a, a market now on how church ought to be run. Can I just say to you, God already told us how church is supposed to be run. The Acts model is still good today 2,000 years later. Thank you. I think I will, Doc. Can I say you be serious-minded about the company you keep? Be serious-minded about the counsel that you seek or neglect. Be serious about the covenants that you make. In particular, your marriage covenant one day. Be serious-minded about the children that God may give to you as a very special, precious gift. I've got to get to number four and I'm done this morning. We said that Joseph and Mary, the royal couple of the Christmas story, we understand that they had some very strong morals. Number two, we understand that this couple had, looking at my notes here, I've lost my place here, all right? Strong morals, sincere motives. Number three, serious-minded. And lastly, this young couple about your age was spiritually mature. Can I say it this way? God had entrusted to their, to their care His only begotten Son to a young couple that was about the same age as you are this morning. Girls, I want you to put your place, put, put, your, put your life right now in the place, in, in your mind, of being a Mary. I'm pregnant with the Christ child? What does that entail? I'm actually going to mother the Christ child, the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind. I get to to feed him and change him and take care of him and rear him and train him. And Joseph, 
You're a carpenter, but for whatever reason, God chose you. You're a just man, Joseph. You, just, Joseph, you're a man who thinks before he acts. You are deliberate in, in all of the areas of your life. And that is one of the reasons that I have given my son to be in your care until he grows into an adult. You may say, man, all these big adult responsibilities and all this, this heavy stuff, and, and I just don't know that I can do it. Yes, you can if you are spiritually mature. You say, I'm only 20. May I remind you what Paul said to Timothy? Oh, I know you know it. First Timothy 4, verse number 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. May I ask you, please, would you have all of those traits in your life, even as a young man and a young lady here at Bible College, because one day you're going to be a youth pastor. One day you're going to be a senior pastor. Look, I was a senior pastor at age 26. <laughs> senior pastor. 35 people. But a calling of God nonetheless. Hey, my friend, you look at me. I want to make sure that this crowd this morning, as we close up these thoughts, oh, let's make sure that you can say, I want to be a part of that royal couple. I want to be like a Joseph, and I want to be like a Mary. And the responsibilities that God gives, even in my youth, that I will step up and I will embrace them. I will ask God to help me every single day. God, I can't do this alone. Can I say this, please? I'll be 49 in just a few days, and every morning I get up and say, God, I can't do this thing alone either. I can't pastor my church. I can't rear my kids. I can't have a good marriage. I can't be a light in a dark world and salt that is supposed to preserve. God, I can't do all of this without you. I must be spiritually minded. And so this morning, I'm asking you, listen, listen to and we're, we're closing. How are your morals this morning? I'm talking about right now in your dating relationship. How are your morals? How are the motives in your heart? Are they sincere? Are they real? Are they genuine? May I ask you this morning, please, what about the serious mindedness of making decisions? And lastly, how spiritually mature will you choose to be today?